2: the world is a pig farm, or at least it was. A filthy stall wherein beasts were elevated by chance and happenstance, to eat and grow fat upon the misery of others. My sense of purpose was honed upon the horns of that injustice, or mere disproportion, should justice prove merely the cursive form of simple inequity. Regardless, I am who I am because of thoughtful reactions to a very specific world, how it rose to confront me. In the absence of that world, I too had vanished. Now, this was certainly true for all of us, as everyone had been stripped of their reliance upon a relatively predictable existence, yet most found that they need to do very little to survive nothing beyond adjusting to the new material conditions. I require an entirely different set of accommodations. I need a set of beliefs, the blood, bones, and organs that make up a fully fleshed-out paradigm, for it's not merely my body that must thrive, but also my mind. The new world, or whatever it was, while possessed of no small number of pigs, seemed governed by a new logic. One that included, but was not necessarily ruled by, pigs. Not yet, anyway. And it was upon that last fact that I thought to balance my new purpose. Preemptive extermination. If there was a lull in piggery, it shouldn't be let to simmer, possibly regaining its lost strength. With my new vision in place, I scanned the faces gathered around me within the ruins of the tavern, all of them congratulating me on my victory over the rusted machine man. Their mere presence, to say nothing of their unwavering acceptance of me, made me feel like I was dreaming, or more accurately, in the midst of a nightmare. I was never one to court company, especially not the mindless,
4: doting variety. That was incredible man. I've never seen anyone move like you did, especially you being as big as you are. If conditioned
2: properly, there's no reason a man's enhanced musculature should serve to limit his speed and agility. My strength is not the product of vanity created for no other reason than to appear menacing. On the contrary, it was my intrinsic menace and its demands to be properly realized, perfected whereby I develop my strength in the first place. As a result, my size is not simply the possibility of menace, but its promise. One is truth, the other smoke. Some may confuse the two at their peril. If there was a pig amongst my well-wishers, it was most likely Seth. He was a leader, and leadership courted pigs by the drove.
4: Well, I don't know about that, but I'm sure that Rushman will think twice about coming back. You lead this town, do you not, Seth? Well, before all this happened, I used to be the Sheriff. So people looked to me to take care of things. But I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm a leader or anything. My britches ain't in any need of being taken up a size. I admire your humility, if not your
2: analysis. Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. I mean that I admire your humility, and thus you are in no immediate risk of being judged a pig. Equally important was that I meant it's no safe bet to think my victory over the Machine Man assures he'll stay away. The last part is almost forgivable, as you're not possessed of all the facts. Though, I would encourage you to develop your curiosity more strenuously.
4: (laughs) I don't know about that. You know what they say about curiosity and the cat. A cat's curiosity
2: is generally proportionate to its skill and experience. And while not always the case, as within the overblown folk saying you've regurgitated, risk-taking, with suitable care being taken, is an invaluable approach to learning, thus deepening one's ability to grasp the moment and beyond. In this case, the cat should be curious to know why the metal creature decided to come to your town at all. With such knowledge in hand, you might better assume the movements of your enemies. I think he's got a
4: point, Seth. I'm not sure we should be counting our chickens before they're hatched. It's not the first time people from Bray have come prowling around. Well, it sure as hell's the first time they sent metal frickin' zombies after us. Say, big guy, if you know something about all this, I'd... Let sure should be grateful to know it, too.
2: While recent events may have appreciably widened your purview of what's possible, what I would tell you is beyond your current level of intellectual digestion. I wasn't sure how to speak to idiots. On the one hand, they were not pigs, and on the other, they were not intelligent. Neither pigs nor ignoramuses were positive states to exist within, as one state often enough leads to the other. But being both a fool killer and a pig slayer was likely too great a burden for even me to bear. I had to be selective, focused. I resolved to leave the fool killing to others. I did, however, consider trimming the occasional fool on merely a casual basis, but I worried about developing a taste for it, so I determined it was best not to indulge at all. I'm a little more open-minded than Seth, so if you'd like to try me, I'd love to know what we might be in the middle of. I considered using the townspeople to my advantage, fodder in my quest for Dylan, but for the momentary haft of a moral impulse, I would have. You would all be best served by organizing your numbers, training your strength to greater heights, keeping regular vigils. I was able to ride a horse into your town with only whispers at my back. And the rust creature only needed to park his car nearby and stroll in. Your weapons, it would seem, in sufficient numbers, seemed to affect the creatures. So I would start there.
4: Will you be staying on? I mean, uh, we could sure use a fellow like you hereabouts, that's for sure.
2: I'm afraid I must continue on to Bray. I have business there, and while my primary purpose is my own, my secondary goal should be of interest to you, for I intend to utterly destroy the city, raise it to the ground. That should more than settle the score between you and whatever lurks within Bray. What? You're going to destroy the whole
4: city? You really think you can do that?
2: The question drew my mind to earlier times, back when I'd sprung my greatest killing trap to date, and as telling as it was ironic, it never made a single headline. Regrettably, the site of my slaughter, the Bohemian Grove, was not as populated as I would have liked. While there were definitely quite a few powerful pigs among the skewered, they were not the great thumping hogs I'd hoped for. The fools thought themselves mighty and magical indeed, sheltered in their secret wood, bowing and scraping to their giant owl. I sat upon them during their secretly celebrated cremation of care ritual, having littered the entire forest with powerful explosives. Then during the explosive cacophony, I made my move. Since I'd already killed one of the priests, taking on both his appearance and place within the ritual, I simply strolled down from the stone dais where I pretended to participate in their foolishness, and proceeded to slaughter pigs by the dozen.
4: Ah, those were the days. Uh, big man? Did you hear me? Big man!
2: Uh, yes. Sorry. I was lost in thought. What did you ask me?
4: I asked whether you were really up to the task of taking out an entire city.
2: I'll manage.
4: Uh, I I hate to ask such a thing, but Ray's probably got a lot of supplies we could use. You're
2: not pigs, but certainly vultures. What was that? I couldn't hear you. Nothing. Certainly. I'll be mindful with my destruction. The likelihood of my hosts being pigs was growing by the second, as they didn't seem to mind that I would very likely slaughter innocents. And, considering the proximity of the two cities, there were almost certainly going to be relatives and friends among the dead. Granted, I didn't really plan on raising the entire city, I just liked how it sounded at that particular moment. Though, it was a distinct possibility. It appeared that
4: even while absent, Wicked's whimsy was infecting me. Well, if that's the case, I'm sure we can help you out. We've got weapons and equipment stockpiled in the basement of the police department. You can take your pick. In them, the pigs decided to
2: share their bounty with me. Even if in an ultimately self-serving gesture. My joy at the prospect of being well-equipped did not lessen my growing disdain for the people of Breakersville but it did distract me. Why, that's very kind of you. Please, lead the way. Apparently, even in this newer, darker world, there was still a Christmas. I loaded up on every weapon I could comfortably carry, a number of them made of non-metallic materials. The locals were even kind enough to allow me to use their machine shop, where I crafted and cobbled to my heart's contentment. By the time I'd finished preparing for my journey to Debray, it was nearing dawn, I decided to rest for a while and leave around dusk, which would put me in Bray by mid-evening. While it was a vastly inferior mode of transportation, I planned to travel by horse, continuing to find the experience enjoyable, and should it survive my attack on Bray, I even resolved to name the beast.
4: We found the owners of the house dead right after we all woke up, so you have the whole place to yourself. Excellent. How did they die, the former owners? Uh, well, we found their… the linden's heads in a dumpster. Hmm.
2: That's certainly not as creative as some of the deaths I've witnessed since the Awakening.
4: Well, the dumpster was altered to look like the belly of a monster. A monster made from a garbage truck. The, uh, compactor part was the head and mouth of the thing. Ah, that's more like it. Well, I guess that's about it. If you need anything else, just ask.
2: That's very kind of you, but I think I'll be fine. Um... Is there something else you want to say to me, Seth, leader
4: of Breakersville? Uh, who are you? I mean, who are you really...
2: I am someone who despises privilege. I am the counterweight, and I come for whom I may, mounted atop a steed gigantic.
4: That's, uh, that, that, that's good enough for me. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be leaving you to it though.
2: I took no real hatred from the townspeople. Theirs was an unreflective life, and perhaps, if my own upbringing had been more pleasant, a life I might have shared with them. But I was born as a counterforce to Caprice. Perhaps I was even produced in response to their misery, their collective and unconscious realization that a mensurate, willful cruelty heaped their potential fortunes upon its prized pigs. Though, if that were true, then my actions both failed and successful, contributed to the current balance of pigs to paupers. If the townspeople were idiots, then I, to some extent, was to blame for it, and the fool killers of the world were skating off my failures. It was important not to skip over the complexities of my calling, as I must leave nothing for my doubts, should I have any, to nourish themselves upon. So, yes... My actions were tallied in the calculus of causes for both pigs and paupers. That I should be found wanting for my lack of progress was a fact I couldn't fix, but only hoped to improve upon as I went along. Sins and sinners were present before, during, and long after Jesus himself walked the earth with human feet. Why should I hold myself to a higher standard? While I didn't believe in the man in any religious sense... I wasn't against using him as a metric for my current progress, or lack thereof. My thoughts turned towards Bray, and what I might reasonably expect to encounter there. So far, there was the metal man and his ability to turn flesh to living, killing rust. Though it was indeed wise for me to expect more creatures charged with the themes of conventional reality gone rotten, there were just too many to sort out. All I could do was punt in the moment, and use as much explosive power as I could muster to do so. For the first time in recent memory, I slept upon a bed. I'd resisted the urge at first, not wanting to give myself the chance to miss the pleasure, as I would almost certainly go as long without doing so again. But wasting the present was just as foolish as denying the past, so I slept, more comfortably than I could have imagined. Dusk came like a punch in the ribs, my body aching with the pleasures of a deep, dreamless sleep. But killing called and could not be denied, so up I sprang if with a bit of hesitancy. Mounting my nameless horse, I silently struck back out upon the endless prairie lands past the dark ruins of the madhouse and the smoking fire pit choked with bodies. I'd been trotting along for a good while when I heard a vehicle off in the distance. It was a slow-moving tractor-trailer traveling upon the road I paralleled. The horse caught up to it with little difficulty, and I could see it was marked with the name of the hospital I was bound for. I smirked. The same trick I'd used at Bohemian Grove would serve me well yet again. I was certain of it. It was dark, and the driver of the semi had apparently not seen me as I moved up behind the semi's towering trailer. Whipping the horse to a gallop, I steered it alongside the vehicle and jumped to my feet upon its back. Within a few moments, I was nearly to the driver's side door. Well, horse, you've been a fine traveling companion, and I hereby release you from my service. To your credit. You are neither a pig nor a fool, and should you have remained in my company, I'm certain you would have received an excellent name. So with that, I bid you farewell. Leaping from the horse, I landed silently upon the rear of the vehicle and watched my nameless horse vanish into the pitch of night. Entering the spiral, I climbed around the outside of the truck until I reached the driver's side door. The window was already open, and before I had the chance to craft the details of my next move, the man took his hand from the steering wheel to light a cigarette. If I wasn't the embodiment of a man's want for balance, I was certainly, at least in that very moment, the consequence of both smoking and relinquishing the 9-3 position upon the steering wheel. The driver came through the window easily enough. If a round peg through a square hole could be said to be easy. His seatbelt snapped like a rubber band, and I felt one of his shoulders dislocate as I yanked him through. What the? Ah! Tossing the man beneath the vehicle's many tires, I quickly made my way into the cabin. I wasn't surprised by the presence of the man still stretched out in the sleeper behind the seats. Once I stopped the truck, I snapped his neck and threw him to the side of the road. Quite sure of what the truck was carrying, I opened the trailer. Lunatics spilled from the compartment like rabbits fleeing their pens. While not all of them were keen on departing their temporary lodgings and needed a bit of coaxing, the trailer was empty in a matter of minutes. It was certainly a cruel fate I left them to upon that road but one far less creative in its cruelty than the one awaiting them in Bray. Once again upon the road, I just followed the signs. Those that were still legible and hadn't been used to facilitate some manner of murder or another. The city of Bray itself was a gradual creature, hauling itself to a modest height, and that only after several minutes after passing into its formal extents. The signs for Saints Memorial Hospital were clear enough, and I followed them where they led. Driving deeper into the city, its complexion seemed to darken for the distance, to a deep, rusty orange. From what I could tell, everything that could rust had. Even the sky seemed to join in the rot, having taken on the tones of brittle rust. As I maneuvered through a corroded metal tunnel, a startling realization struck me. The path ahead showed no signs of termination. Instead, it extended endlessly, growing in height and width as I pressed forward. Eventually, it expanded to such an extent that it evolved into a desolate landscape of rust, enveloping everything in its reach. The sky, once a familiar sight, had vanished entirely, replaced by an expanse of eroded metal that formed a haunting dome overhead, enclosing the surroundings within its grasp. When the city of Brave finally staggered into view, its true state became apparent, a dying metropolis drenched in a sickly orange hue consumed by the relentless march of rust. The corroded skies stretched above it like a lifeless shroud, reminiscent of the putrefying remains of a long dead sunset. Here was the proverbial, and quite filthy, frying pan. All that was left now was to seek out the fire.
0: Red Mother is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Stephen Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld, and sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Be sure to check us out at www.maltopia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. If you want unique art and animations of Maltopia's stories, visit our YouTube page or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a fan and want to help the show grow, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And for more exclusive content such as additional lore, stories, and art, be sure to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia.